Well, good morning, Red Hills. How are y'all doing? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, we want to take just a second and welcome everybody joining us online this morning. We're so excited that you're a part with us today. I hope that you've experienced the presence of God already through worship where you're at. Can we welcome them this morning? Come on, let them know you're excited. They're with us. Well, this morning, before we jump into uh, the word, I do want to let you know uh, I'm going to speak about uh, five, six minutes shorter, hold your applause, than normal. Um, because I really want you to make sure that you have space to go out and check out the tribes that are outside. Today is a day where you can go, we call it rally day, where you can go out at the end of the gathering underneath the tent and just check out uh, the different opportunities to connect in uh, a tribe, or if you're not used to that language, a small group that they'll be starting uh, really soon. And so it's an opportunity to meet the person that would be leading it and uh, just get a little bit more information. The, the the question is not, should I join a tribe? The question is, which tribe should I join? If you're a part of this church, we want you, we deeply want you in community with other people. And so make sure that you go check those out uh, and sign up. Every trimester, it's such a great opportunity to get to know more people and to go deeper uh, in my relationship with God and watch others do the same. So make sure you do that. Well, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, we're continuing, this is the third week of our, um, of our series called Confessions of a Pastor. And by the way, hasn't it been amazing to have Pastor Aaron back and Sharon the last couple weeks? Come on, let's, uh, we're so excited that you're back, it's good to see you. So uh, let's read this story together. It says this, Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men of a certain city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds, uh, but the poor man had, not, uh, had nothing but one little ewe lamb. It's weird reading at a 60-degree angle. i got to change where that's sitting. But one little ewe lamb which he had brought, which he had bought, excuse me. And he brought it up and he grew it with him and uh, with his children. It used to eat a morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. How many of y'all got pets like kids to you? Where are y'all at? Where are my pet like kids people at? All right, all right. We got a few in here. I, had a, I, had a, I have a dog that's very, that's very dear to my heart. Her name's Thelma. Anyway, moving on. Now, now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare it for the guests, for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to see him. And then David's anger grew uh, greatly, and it was kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, uh, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he has done this thing, and he has had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite and the sword with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him at the hand of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and or because you have despised me and have taken 
his wife as your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and, and he shall lie with your wives in sight of the son. For you did this thing secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before all men. And David said to, to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan left the house. Today, I want to talk to you about on the subject of concealing or confessing. Concealing or confessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this word. When we read it, 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 sounds, it sounds hard. It sounds uh, intense. But Father, there's a deep truth out of this story that you desire for us to see. You desire for us to see this, this um, truth that you want us to be people who live a life of confession but, and, and not people who conceal those things that we struggle with. And you want us to be people who are healed from that. And so Father, as we read this word and we study this word, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to, to do the work that you've called us to do, to live a life of confession. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God, amen and amen. Well, if uh, you have been in the room when I've spoken in any service, you probably know I have two kids. I have uh, a son named Jackson who is four going on five and Eden who is three going on four. And they're at a fun age. You know, this is, a, this is an interesting dynamic for parents. They're really close together. So probably about 70% of the time they're good, right? Like they play together. There's a lot of benefits to being close in age. But then there's that other 30, right? Then there's that other percentage of the time where they just fight and argue. Like, like it's crazy. And what I, what's been really interesting to watch over the last um, probably few months is the level of their fighting has upgraded, right? Their level of their fighting is upgraded. And uh, we've had to, we've had to like step in a lot more as parents because all of a sudden Jackson's just decided that uh, whenever he's upset with Eden, it's like, WWF time, you know? And so, you know, it's, it, hey, I don't know if you understand this, Jackson, pushing your sister down the stairs, not okay. And so, you know, and what's funny is we've had to deal with this like a lot. And, and you know, you, you take your son, there was a day uh, a few days ago where I had to take Jackson and say, hey, you, you, hit, you hit your sister, that's not okay. And so he got, he, he had a punishment he had to do. Uh, of course he cried because he doesn't like getting punished. And then, and then when, it, when the punishment was over, um, everything was okay. He went back and played with Eden. And it was interesting because when, when he hit Eden, the conversation was, but she did this and this and this and this and that. That's why I hit her. Like he was giving me the justification, like I should be vindicated because of this. And I thought, well, good argument. Maybe you'll be a lawyer, but not today, you know? And so a so few minutes later, fast forward a little bit, I hear Jackson blood curdle scream upstairs. And so I thought, oh, round two, here we go. So I walk upstairs and Jackson is in tears. And he says, Eden is being mean to me. And I said, okay, what'd she do? She looked at me. <laughs> and I thought, Hars, you know, like, what do you say to that? She turned in your general direction. How could she? You know, like, like, what is the? What are we even talking about right now? What are we even talking about? I said, Jackson, that, like, I don't know that that's really something to get upset about. You know, like, she's, 
looking at you. You know, and she, he, she's being mean. I said, but yeah, you hit her a minute ago. So like, I feel like that's all, all, all things included, you're doing pretty good, right? And so he said, he said, but she's just, she's being mean. And I said, well, okay, <laughs> you know, what do you do with that? And I remember sitting there in that moment thinking about today and, and thinking about this passage of scripture and talking about this idea of concealing and confession. And it's interesting how we are very aware and are willing to call out when people sin against us. When, when we see sin in other people's lives or we see a, a brokenness in someone else, yet, yet for many of us, I think our natural tendency is to conceal or to hide the thing that we struggle with and the brokenness that we have and the sin that, that we carry. And the truth is that whether we're talking about brokenness or we're talking about sin or we're talking about just dysfunction in our life, there's really only two options with those two things. One of them is to do what Scripture calls us to do, and that is to confess it. When you read Scripture all the way through, there are numerous places in Scripture where both directly and indirectly, the Scripture is pointing us to being people of confession. That James 5, 16 tells us very directly that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other so that we may be healed. This is, this is a very direct statement. Why, why do we need to confess? Because there's healing that comes when we choose to confess that which we struggle with. But then there's this other side to, uh, to this issue, and that is to conceal it. We either conceal it or we confess it. And for concealing, what we do is we, we justify, we hide, we, we pretend like the things that we struggle with um, are not really as big of an issue as they, as they seem to be. And the more that we conceal our issues, the more that we conceal our sin, the greater the dysfunction that we find in our life. And even, even as much that the longer that we do it, we will even begin to be people who fight and point fingers at other people who struggle with the same thing. Because when we see people struggle with the same thing, we think in the back of our mind, I just don't want anybody to see that I might struggle with the same thing. So I'm going to make a big deal out of their issues so that the spotlight is off of me. One, um, one hobby that I have that, that probably sounds a little odd, but it, it probably also makes sense because of my, my job, is that um, I love church history, specifically American church history. There's a lot of different things that are, are interesting to read about. And in the, the late 80s and early 90s, uh, well, really into the 70s and into the 90s, there were two very um, well-known televangelists in the late 80s and early 90s. The first guy's name was Jim Baker. The second guy's name was Jimmy Swaggart. And Jim Baker was interesting. He, he was like a, a televangelist only. He, he created PTL. If you watch Christian TV, it's still, it's still on today. Um, and then he did a lot of different things with media. And then there was Jim, or Jimmy Swaggart, who was a guy who would travel and do crusades, but he also pastored a church in Louisiana. And it came out in the late, late 80s, right going into the 90s, that Jim Baker um, admitted to a one-night stand, an extramarital affair, one-night stand. And when he admitted to this, um, he, he obviously apologized to his wife, apologized to those who had, who had supported him, uh, and, and did his best to make some type of amends. Now, he still sinned, he still did something wrong, and there obviously should be consequences to that. But what's interesting is that the other 
televangelist that was about equally well-known in this time period, uh, he chose to go for the throat. And there's actually, you can still find the footage of it, that he went on national TV and he called Jim Baker a cancer to Christianity and he said that he should be cut out. Now, guy did something wrong. Guy sinned. There should be consequences for that. But I don't really know that there's ever a moment to call somebody a cancer to their faith. Like that is a harsh, harsh statement. Now, what's interesting about that is that less than a year later, it comes out that Jimmy Swaggart had not had an affair, but it had serial affairs uh, with prostitutes over the last five or six years. Now, why did that happen the way that it happened? Because Jimmy Swaggart chose to conceal his issues and conceal his sin. And when he saw somebody else struggling with the same thing that he struggled with, instead of showing grace to that person, he attacked that person. Because it's easier to point out the speck in somebody else's eye than to deal with the log in your own eye. And we may not have a national platform to do that with, but we do that in our own life. That when we see people struggle with things that are similar, it, it can make us feel very insecure. And we want to hide our own brokenness. We want to hide our own sin and pretend like it's really not as big of a deal. And if anyone understood what it was like to conceal their issues and pretend like they didn't matter, it's King David. It's King David. This is a man who, on the one hand, was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was uh, somebody who was a worshiper. But on the other hand, in the moment that we find him in this story, at the very least, he is an adulterer, a manipulator, and a murderer. The story goes, if you're not familiar with it, that um, David, when he should have been at war, when he should have gone to war with his military, he stayed back and he, he goes to the rooftop at night and he sees a woman bathing and he finds her beautiful and he decides in that moment uh, that he wanted to be with her intimately. And the Bible tells us that he calls for her, he is with her and then he, he gets her pregnant. Now, that, that lady's wife, Bathsheba's wife, was, or sorry, her husband was at war. And so uh, David brings the husband back quickly to try to cover up what happened. He thinks, you know, if he comes back, then they'll think it's his baby. The only problem is, is Uriah uh, had some morals and some ethics. And he said, I'm not going to be with my wife when all of the people that serve under me are still in, in battle. Not going to do it. And so David, when his cover up didn't work, he decides to go and and make it to where Uriah would definitely die. He placed Uriah in an inappropriate place in the battle to ensure his death, and he died. I think it's interesting that this story begins and ends both with someone being somewhere that they shouldn't be. I think that's very interesting. The Bible tells us that he's covering up all this, and what we're seeing in this text is Nathan coming to David and saying, you have done all of these things and you might have justified it, but it is still wrong and it is still sin. You see, when we conceal or when we confess, there are two very consistent paths that are taken. There, there are two very consistent roads that we walk down. When we choose to conceal in our own life, we choose uh, to have sinful entitlements. 
We choose to have sinful entitlements. David felt like he deserved Bathsheba. He felt like he deserved her. He thought, I'm king, I'm a military leader, I've done all of these things, and I deserve that woman. He had a selfish entitlement. He had a sinful entitlement. The, the issue for many of us with this word, it's so difficult when words become uh, different inside of language because the, the word entitlement for us, a lot of times we think about politically or socially, but we can be as conservative as we want in those areas and still struggle with entitlement in other places. And David struggled deeply with entitlement. He thought he deserved exactly what he desired. And that led him to a selfish decision. It led him to a selfish decision. He chose to be with, with her. And not only that, he also chose to murder her husband in order to cover up the issue. And when he chose to make that selfish decision, it led to the, the third place, which is that he justified what he did. He justified what he did. He, he didn't directly kill Uriah. He made sure he died, but, but even Nathan deals with it. He says, you killed him at the hand of the Ammonites. You, you made sure, you made sure that he died. And the problem with this, th these steps is that they're cyclical. That if I'll justify my, my sin, if I'll justify my brokenness and I'll make up an excuse for it, I'll do it again. And, and the next time it'll be deeper and it'll be more dysfunctional and it'll be something that I continue to ride out in my own life. But then there's this other way that God calls us to and that is to take a pathway of confession. What does it look like to take a pathway of confession for the things that we struggle with? The first thing that we see is that we begin to admit the truth. We begin to admit the truth in our own life. That, that there's some, some things in me that are not altogether good, that they're not altogether perfect, that there, there are some sinful places in me. Can you do me a favor and hand me that? Thank you. Uh, there, is something, there is something about this process of admitting your brokenness and admitting that there are things inside of you that, that are sinful. And what's interesting is often, I, I don't know if, if you're like me, when I go through that process, it's like I choose to admit like a little bit, right? When I find a safe place to, to talk about those issues and then I'll, and then I'll take like another step and, and you kind of walk out this process of admitting the things that you struggle with. And when we choose to live a life of confession, it begins with finding a place where you can admit those, those things. That's why we're, we're working so diligently to get everybody in here signed up in a tribe. Because you develop relationship and community where there is a safe place for you to be open about the things that you struggle with in your own life. That's why it matters. Because confession starts with feeling comfortable sharing the truth. And when we begin to share that truth, something happens. We begin to move past our shame. We begin to move past those things that we struggle with. We begin to move past those things that, uh, that we have felt bad about, that we're insecure about. I'm so thankful that I'm in a church that on, on every single Saturday morning, that there is a group of men that meet. I think they get here at like 7 a.m. That they come and they just create space for men that struggle with lust or pornography issues. 
I'm so thankful for that because I, I gotta tell you, I've watched more men in the time that I've been in ministry struggle with it because they simply didn't know that there were other people who had the same issue. But when we begin to admit the truth, we discover that we're not the only people who struggle with that thing but that there are other people who struggle with it. And it begins to remove that shame. And whether it's a sexual issue or whatever other kind of issue you might feel shame about, the truth is, is that there are other people who struggle with it. And when you begin to share that truth in your life, that those are your issues, you find people that have, have been where you are and will be willing to come alongside of you and help you remove that shame that you feel. It's enlightening. It's like shining a light on a problem and seeing that you're not the only one. And ultimately, when that happens, I begin to experience personal healing. I begin to experience personal healing even in my own life, that there's, there's something about the removal of that shame and admitting those things that I struggle with that brings me to a better freedom than I could have ever imagined. And when we look at the life of David, he walked down both of these roads. He walked down both of these roads where he chose in one season to conceal. But the, the story that we read is where he begins a life of confession to do the, the work that needs to happen in his, needed to happen in his soul so that he could continue to grow in his relationship with God. So the question is this morning, what does it look like to, to live a life of confession? What does it look like to really, to really live out confession uh, that is consistent in our own life? I'm gonna give you three thoughts and then we're gonna give you the opportunity to go and join a tribe. The first, the first thought is this, that I need to embrace godly counsel in my life. There is no more direct way to say it in this scripture than it says in the very beginning in, in uh, 2 Samuel 12. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent godly counsel in David's life. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You need people in your life that, that you have given permission to speak into your life. You need godly counsel. You need godly counsel in your life where they can hear from you or they, you can hear from them. You can receive what they have to say even when it hurts and you can allow it uh, to do work on the inside of us. I, I genuinely believe that one of the greatest, um, that one of the greatest difficulties in the, the season of, of life that we find ourselves in as Americans, we're so argumentative that we struggle when somebody looks at us and says, hey, I love you and I care for you but maybe you should consider that you have this issue. We blow it off, we justify those issues instead of listening to that. And one of the characteristics that we see in David, especially in this story, is that he was willing, even though it hurt, even though it was, it was really difficult to admit those things, he was willing to look and say, you know what, you're right. I've got some things in my life that I need to work on. We all need godly counsel in our life. Those people that we can embrace and hear from. The second thing that we need to do is name our dysfunction. Whether it's sin, brokenness, what, whatever it is, you need to name it. Pastor Aaron talked, and it was great last week, about um, like naming, the, naming the offense and dealing with, dealing with the reality of, of unforgiveness. And this is, this is very similar. It's different, but it's similar. We need to name the things that we struggle with and be open about it. I can't confess to something that I won't admit that I actually struggle with. 
Here's a deeper truth. God can't heal you from something you won't admit is wrong. I have to be willing to say, this is an issue in my life. God, I need your help. And if I'm willing to do that, then something significant will happen in my own life. If I'm willing to say, you know what, this is an issue that I struggle with, this is a, this is a problem in my own life, then God can begin to do that healing work. And it's inside of the relationships with that godly counsel that I can name those things. It's inside of those relationships with godly counsel that I can, that I can be open and honest in a safe place and say, you know what, I have this issue. If I wanna walk in confession, I have to embrace godly counsel, I have to name my dysfunction, and then number three, I have to choose repentance. I have to choose repentance. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to, to repent? The word that we, that we use for, uh, or we translate repentance, literally means to think differently or to change your mind. It means, it means to choose to see those things that you struggle with and, and choose to see those things that you've done in your past in a way that you're no longer justifying them, but you're willing to admit those things were wrong and I'm choosing to go in a different direction now. I'm choosing to go into a different direction. You see, if I'm not willing to repent, I'll never actually confess the things that I struggle with. I'll never actually look somebody in the face and say, this is a problem for me. If I don't have a desire to think and live differently than I currently do. But if I want to experience God's best for me, if I want to experience the freedom that he has for my life, it requires me to choose to engage in repentance. You know, when we look at David, the scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. When we look at all the things just today, there are other things that he did that we're not talking about. We like know it wasn't because he was super holy, right? I, I'm just curious, how many of you have not murdered somebody, right? There are less of your hands going up than I expected. You know what I'm saying? No. It's not because he was sinless. But when we look at the life of David, specifically in this moment, he was willing to admit the truth. When Nathan called him out on it, granted he did it a little theatrically, but when Nathan called him on his stuff, the Bible tells us that he looked at him and he said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've, I've done wrong. What, what, I, what I have done is sinful and it has grieved the heart of God. And after that, one of the most beautiful things that we see, most of the Psalms that we see that we've marked kind of past this point have such a beautiful, have such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be repentant. David wasn't the man after God's own heart because he was perfect, but because he was willing to allow God to continue to change him. And when he saw brokenness in his life, when he saw sin in his own life, he was willing to confess it so that he could be healed. I wanna ask you today, are you concealing or are you confessing? Because you can't do um, like a middle ground. There's not a middle ground. 
I'm either choosing to live a life where I conceal my issues or I'm choosing to live a life where I confess those issues. Whether it's in a tribe or it's with a, a, a close group of friends, who are you confessing to? Because if you can't think of those people right now, you're probably concealing those things that you struggle with. Now, I don't want that to feel um, like I'm coming down on you. I don't want that to feel like I'm, I'm wagging my finger at you saying, you need to do this. But I want you to hear it because what I can tell you is that from my own life, I have experienced deep freedom in being able to find a safe place to say, you know what? I don't have it all together. And I need to deal with this issue. I want to invite you today to be people who choose not to conceal their issues, but to confess so that you may be healed. Would you stand with me all over the room? If you're at home, just take a moment, close your eyes, maybe just take a deep breath. If you're in the room, bow your heads and close your eyes. I believe that God wants to say something to us this morning. If you're in here and you say, you know what? I have been a person that conceals more than confesses. I have been a person that when somebody, when I've seen other people struggle with similar things, I point the finger and I, I'm judgmental because honestly, I just don't want people to know that I struggle with the same thing. But I wanna be a person of confession. If that's you, I wanna, I wanna pray for you. I, I wanna pray for you. Would you do me a favor and just in vulnerability and honesty, would you lift your hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hands all over the room. Anybody else before, we, before I pray? I see you, I see you, yeah. If you're online, you can, you can text that number and we'll, we'll be praying for you as well. Father, I thank you so much for this, this willingness to be open and vulnerable. God, you, you desire for us to be people who confess our sins to one another and pray for each other because you know the freedom that comes out of that. And while it may be hard to start that process, Father, I pray that, that for every person within the sound of my voice, that, that they would just feel just an urgency to find a safe place to share that. Father, I hope that as they, as they sign up for a tribe today, that they would look forward to the healing that's gonna take place over the next six weeks, that they would believe God's gonna do something deep and intrinsic in their life. We thank you for the reports that we're gonna see from, from emotional and physical and spiritual healing through these tribes. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God, amen.